Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning, as always. Good to see you all. If you're a guest of ours, I'll, I'll take my turn to welcome you as well. Those of you who are worshiping online, um, I'm glad that you're joining us that way as well. Good to be together this morning. So I uh, heard about a fella who was forced to go to a court one day, kind of a small traffic uh, summons, but he waited all day long for his case to get called. And he was getting really frustrated because he had to take off work to be there. Finally, at the very end of the day, his case finally gets called. He stands before the judge just to find out the court's about to be adjourned. And he's going to have to come back the next day. Now he's really upset. And he looks at the judge and says, this is ridiculous. Well, the judge has had a pretty long day as well. So he wraps the gavel and he said, I'm holding you in contempt of court. $30 fine, $10 for each word. Guy pulls his wallet out, he starts looking through it, and the judge relents a little bit and said, sir, you don't have to pay right now. The guy said, I'm just looking to see if I can afford a few more words. <laughs> you know, we all have that feeling sometimes that um, I, I'm a little bit further in debt than I'm going to be able to repay. And we get the feeling sometimes, and we don't want to have the feeling that we're writing a check that maybe we're not going to be able to cover. Hold that thought. We are spending some time in the next uh, couple weeks going through some of the highlights from the book of Romans. Not all of the highlights from Romans. People keep asking, are you going to talk about this verse? Are you going to talk about this verse? And so we're going to talk about some of the highlights from the, the, the book of Romans. Um, Paul, who wrote that book, is cutting to the chase. And we're going to pick out some of the things he talks about that are just foundational to our Christian life. And we opened this series with Paul talking about love. Who, when, how we as Christ followers are to love. Last week, we listened in as Paul made the statement that he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation of those who believe. We have already talked a little bit about the city of Rome, the, the place where he is writing to, the Christians who are living there in Rome. It is a you know, polytheistic uh, culture, a lot of different people worshiping a lot of different gods. Talked a little bit about just the hedonistic nature of Rome in the first century. It was just a really immoral place. People's goal was to bring themselves pleasure. In a lot of ways, it was as far as could be from the teachings of Jesus. Nero was the emperor at the time. He was a brutal guy. He hated Christians. Uh, persecution was going to get worse, but even as Paul was writing this letter, uh, these Christians are living in difficult circumstances. And remember, these are first-generation Christians. This hasn't been modeled for them before. This hasn't been handed down to them by their parents or their grandparents. They're, they're trying to figure out you know, the, the, the Christian walk kind of as they're going. And Paul hasn't been there yet. He's writing a letter to a place that he hasn't been. So he's not reminding them of some things that he's already taught them. He's laying some of this stuff out for the very first time. And this morning, we're going to cut to the chase to a statement that Paul makes that is certainly foundational to us realizing our relationship with God and appreciating our dependency on Jesus. 
And I'm going to tell you up front, it's a passage that you're going to be familiar with. But I'm going to encourage you, don't let your familiarity with this passage keep you from appreciating the power behind what Paul is writing. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 3. It's going to be verses 21 through 24. Paul says this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So Paul says there is a righteousness that didn't come from the law. This is apart from the law. It didn't come from perfect obedience to keep in the law. But it's a righteousness that the law and the prophets all pointed to. The law and the prophets testified to this righteousness that Paul's about to tell us about. Uh, Verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. Paul says there's no difference. We're all in the same boat. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're slave or free, rich or poor. Doesn't matter if you've had a hedonistic past or a legalistic past. We're all on a level playing field here. We're we're all sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 21 there is a really important transitional verse in the book of Romans. And Paul makes this transition with two words, but now. From about the middle of chapter 1, as soon as he's finished introducing himself, all the way through verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul has um, sort of been playing the part of prosecuting attorney. He's putting all of mankind on trial. And he makes it clear, we are all guilty. For 64 verses, Paul talks about the fact that we're all sinners. We all have fallen short. We've either sinned like the prodigal son, or we've sinned like the elder brother, but we're all sinners. And for 64 verses, Paul gives us really bad news. He lays out the case that, one, we're not deserving of God's gifts. And two, just like the joke that I told, you're not going to be able to pay back God in order to get deserving. You're not going to be able to to earn the, 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 um, the blessings and relationship that we're all coveting. You're too far in debt. You can't do it on your own. So in verse 21, he pivots by saying, but now. He's laid out all this bad news, 64 verses of bad news. But now, Paul knows that before he gets to the good news, he's got to be sure we understand the bad news. Because the good news isn't quite as good if we don't realize how bad the bad news is. Make sense? The more we understand how bad the bad news is, it makes the good news all that much better. Let me try and illustrate it this way. Suppose I um, brought a parachute with me this morning. And I stood out here in the lobby. And as you walked in, for 20 minutes I grabbed you and I tried to convince you to take the parachute. And I said, do not leave here without this parachute. You need this parachute. Uh, I want you to have this parachute. Chances are, you wouldn't be real excited about a parachute standing in the lobby, would you? Uh, It wouldn't seem very relevant to you. 
The good news that I have a parachute for you wouldn't sound like very good news to you. Why? Because you're standing on the ground, right? Change the context. We're 3,000 feet in the air in a little plane and the engine goes out and the pilot panics. He says, we're going to crash. We're all going to die. And you panic. And you grab your phone and you're trying to call or text the people that you love and tell them, you know, one last time, I love you. And I'm sitting beside you and I say, you know, I have a parachute if you want it. <laughs> Suddenly, that's good news, isn't it? And it's a lot better news when you hear that in the airplane than when you hear it in the lobby out here. Why? Because you realize how bad things are around you. You realize how bad the bad news is. The degree to which the news is good, to a large extent, depends on how much we recognize how bad the bad news really is. So Paul spends 64 verses telling us things are bad. We are all sinners. We can't make it right. We can't save ourselves. But now, and then he shares some good news. And by the way, I think sometimes as a church, we are guilty of sharing with people the good news without talking about the bad news. And again, we really can't appreciate how good the good news is until we understand how bad the bad news is, until we kind of come to grips with the reality that we're sinners and that we all are falling far short, have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. How can it get any worse than that? How can it get any worse than being dead? Or he doesn't say we're nearly dead. Or he doesn't say we're mostly dead. He says we're dead in our sins. And if you don't realize the consequences of sin, then you're never really going to see the need for the saving blood of Jesus. You know, I got to thinking this week, I never think about anti-venom medicine. Never think about it. Doesn't cross my mind. But I know if I ever get bit by a rattlesnake, it's going to be the only thing I think about. Because I'm going to realize how bad things are, and I'm going to realize how good uh, that, that uh, anti-venom medicine might be. So Paul is very careful, and he's very intentional when he is telling us just how bad the situation is. And that's why we have to be acutely aware of the sin that's crouching at our door. And we've got to be brutally honest with ourselves and with each other as we recognize our own failings and our own shortcomings, our own sin, in the context of the gospel, pointing to Jesus. So Paul says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For 64 verses, Paul says, no one's righteous. But now, there is a righteousness apart from the law, apart from what you do. It's not earned. It is given 
through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. You know that word righteousness? It's kind of a Bible word, right? Kind of a church word. We don't really use that word in our day-to-day conversations, but we could. Maybe we should. Because it literally it just means proof of worth, proof of value. So if, think about a high school senior who is applying to college. That school wants to know if this student is righteous enough to attend their school. If they're worthy of the school, if they have value. So they're going to ask that student for their transcripts, and they're going to ask that student for SAT scores and extracurricular activities and you know, some things that they've achieved. Basically, that student has to prove his or her righteousness to the school. You've got to prove your worth. You've got to prove your value. When we hear the word righteousness, that's, that's the same idea. That we have earned it, that we deserve it, that we have value, that we have worth. And Paul makes it very clear, none of us are righteous on our own. None of us are righteous because of our, uh, our own actions. He's basically spent 64 verses writing a rejection letter, letting us know, you're not good enough. You have not been accepted. Your application has been denied. Then in verse 21 he says, but now. There is a righteousness from God. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you earned. Uh, This is something that has been given to you from God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not based on your moral record. It's not based on your spiritual resume. It's from God. Our righteousness is not based on what we've done. It's based on what's been done for us. So Paul says in verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then in verse 23, he reminds us why we all need it. Because we're all in the same boat. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 24 tells us exactly how that's possible. And are justified, which is another church word, another Bible word, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That word justified. Quite often we think of justified as being a synonym for forgiveness that we have been pardoned freely, that we have been forgiven freely. And it certainly involves the, the, the idea of forgiveness, but that word justified is a much bigger word than just forgiveness. It goes farther than that. Justified isn't just God forgiving a debt that we've incurred. It is also God giving us blessings and riches that, that we don't deserve. Listen, this is really important. And I want you to kind of think through this with me. When we stand before God justified, it isn't just that He's forgiven our sin. It's also that He has given us some things. He has given us a righteousness. The word for it is imputed. He has imputed to us righteousness. 
We're not just forgiven. We are given the righteousness of Jesus. We stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus, which is pretty good news. It's called grace, but it's good news. But it sort of begs the question, but is it fair? And I thought God was fair. And I thought God was just. Is it fair for a teacher to give students someone else's grade? And is it fair for a banker to give someone, you know, someone else's credit score? Is it fair to think that a college is going to accept me because they're looking at someone else's, you know, SAT scores? I thought God was fair. And verse 24 explains that God is absolutely just and He is the justifier. He's absolutely just. God's not saying, sin's not a big thing, sin's not a big deal, don't worry about it. And He's not saying, I'm just going to give you the righteousness of Jesus. Not at all. There's a huge price that God paid to impute with us the righteousness of Jesus. It's the blood of Christ. He sent His Son. So God is absolutely just and He's the justifier. Look at the very next verse. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Talking about Jesus. He did this to demonstrate His justice. Because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God is both just and he is the justifier. Now, if you were a Jew living in the first century and you heard these words or you read these words, you would start to connect a few dots. Because you would know that there is one day on the Jewish calendar that was a very holy day, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about the instructions given to the high priest on what he should do on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest was to take two goats. One of those goats he was to sacrifice, to kind of remind everyone that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That second goat, the priest would take and put his hands on that goat, pronounce all the sins of the people to be transferred onto that goat. And then they would turn the goat loose in the wilderness. The idea that uh, removing the sins is far away from possible from the people. And we read that and we hear that, and it just sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? It sounds very odd. Until you get to John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, a guy by the name of John the Baptist is telling everyone that the Messiah is coming, that the kingdom is imminent. And then he sees Jesus. And John says, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the scapegoat that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was that atonement. His blood was shed so that we could receive the righteousness of Jesus. Because we weren't good enough. We weren't righteous enough. But God has imputed to us, given us a righteousness apart from the law. And not only is His righteousness imputed unto us, 
But our sin was imputed on Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God put all the wrongs that we've ever done onto Jesus, who's never done anything wrong, so that we might receive his righteousness. You understand what that means? It means that, that Jesus was punished as if he had done everything that we have done wrong. And it also means that we are rewarded as if we have done everything that he has done right. Just a couple chapters later, Paul's going to summarize this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of us, if you've been in church very long, have heard the gospel represented as a, a word picture, kind of that image of us standing before God on judgment day. And so often, you know, preachers use the, uh, the scene as a, a court scene because that's what we're familiar with. And they paint this picture of God sitting on the judgment throne and we stand before God. And, you know, Scripture says that we have to give an account of everything we've said, everything we've done, even our random thoughts. And so preachers are good at painting this picture of us standing before God and this huge document's brought in, thousands of pages thick, and it's you know, slapped on the bench there. And you just know, you know that inside that document is all of your sins, everything you've ever done that was contrary to the Word of God all of the things you didn't do that you should have done, and you, you know that's just full of really bad news. And then we, you know, we talk about the fact that because of the blood of Christ, God opens that document, and the pages are blank. It's all been erased. There's nothing there. And it's a good illustration, but it's not complete. The good news of the gospel goes further than that. God pulls out that document. And you think it's full of everything you've done wrong. But when he opens it up, it's full of everything Jesus has done right. And your name is on it. Your name is on the test. But Jesus filled in the answers. And, and Jesus has a document. And everything that's in his document are all the sins that you have committed. And at the cross, those names were exchanged. Your sin, my sin, was transferred to Jesus. He took that sin. And he imputes to us his righteousness. And when we really start to understand that, when we really start to wrap our minds around what happened at the cross and the significance of what Jesus has done. It, it changes the way you live out your faith. You know, so many people have been told that, that somehow you have to earn it. 
You know, intellectually, we, we know, no, that's not true, but mm, we still sort of think that. Paul cuts to the chase, and he says, listen, by faith, we receive the righteousness of Jesus. And so, as Christians, we're not living our life for the blessings of God. We're living our life from the blessings of God. We're not living our life from the place of guilt or, or shame, trying to be good enough, hoping somehow we can balance the scales and you know, sneak into heaven. We're not living our life for the blessings. We're living our life from the blessings. We've been incredibly blessed. And listen, I know some of you need to hear that this morning. Because I know some of you walk into places like this and you walk back out thinking, I got to do better. Somehow I've got to be better or God won't love me. If I could just get my life figured out, if I could just get my life in order, then I know God would love me more. God can't love you more. He can't love you any more than he already does. He sent Jesus to trade places with us. Jesus got what we deserve. <laughs> the news is even better. We get what Jesus deserves. That changes the way you live your life. It changes the way we make decisions. Some of you need to make some decisions based on what God has done for you. Some of you need to repent. You need to quit sinning. Turn back to God. Some of you need to claim that blood of Jesus. You need to be baptized. You just do. We're commanded to be baptized. Jesus told us to do it. Take the parachute. All of us need to humble ourselves. All of us need to realize what we have been given, what we have been gifted through the blood of Christ and respond in faithful obedience to that. Not to try to balance the scales, but just to tell God, thank you. Thank you for that level of love that I'll never understand this side of heaven. But to humbly accept that. I asked our song leaders this morning if they would lead as an invitation song an old hymn that I used to sing quite often when I was younger. We don't sing it anymore. And I think the reason is the words are pretty archaic. It was written over 200 years ago. But if you can get past the words and get to the message, it is a powerful song. And it asks and answers the question, how do we approach God? How should we come to God? With all of our stuff, all of our problems, all of our baggage, how do we approach God? And it answers that question. Just as I am. Without one plea, but that thou, but that thou, thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. And again, we sing those words, and you know, I don't even know what they mean. What it means is, my only defense is the blood of Jesus. I'm coming just as I am, and all I'm bringing is the blood of Jesus. Oh, Lamb of God, I come.
I come. If you need to make a decision this morning, if, if you need people that love you to be praying with you, we're going to invite you to come. Let's go ahead and be standing, and we'll sing.